The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hunter is also on the board of directors for Acts 29 US West, the network that we are a part of and are privileged to be a part of. Um, Hunter is a just a really great leader. He's been an incredible asset, not just to me and to the church in ways that you guys don't even see behind the scenes, but he's a good friend and turns out he knows how to fly fish a little bit too. So we're really blessed to have Hunter come out and join us today. I told the guys that uh, I think having a guy from Denver guarantees, that, I mean, I think God would let Denver beat the Raiders today for that too as well, don't you think? So anyway, could you guys do me a favor and give a warm welcome to my friend Hunter Beaumont. Thank you guys. Hey, thank you guys so much. Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, I am from Arkansas, and, and this, uh, this part of Oregon feels eerily familiar to, to Arkansas to me. We were in, what's the town, Shady Cove? Shady Cove. Jeff wanted me to be sure I got the town right. We were in Shady Cove yesterday, and, uh, and Shady Cove is just Arkansas with legal marijuana. That's really all it is. And, and so uh, I, felt, I feel right at home here, and, uh, and I might be moving here. So uh, it's, uh, it's great, to, great to be with you guys today. I, I am excited to be with you and just to share a little bit in what God is doing among you. And, and I want to say I really do sense that God is doing something special in, in this congregation and through this body of Christ. God's doing something unique. I get to see a lot of churches as a result of my work with Acts 29, and uh, especially in the western U.S., uh, a lot of churches, a lot of church plants, and and God is up to something special in heritage. You guys have uh, grown in a, in a way that we don't see a lot of churches grow, and and so it just seems to me that the Spirit is at work here in a in a way that is is unusual. And so, as I was preparing for this morning, I thought, how can I how can I just uh, bring something from Scripture that that will um, just steward the work that the Spirit is doing among you. And so that's my prayer for our time today, that, that uh, we would just be able to see something together that I think would help you guys just go even further to multiply your impact and to steward uh, all the incredible work that God's already doing uh, among you. Now, um, to, do, to do this, I brought a couple of tools with me. I brought my Bible, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you brought a Bible with you, meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In just a minute, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. So, so that's the first tool I brought. And then I also brought this uh, pair of polarized sunglasses. Now, I want to tell you about these sunglasses as you're getting uh, situated in, in, in the Bible. Here's, here's what these glasses do. Um, these have many applications, but, but fishing, let's say, is, uh, is, is one of them. And, and it, here's how they work. When, when the sun is, is shining on the water, it creates a glare. It creates a reflection that comes off of the water. So if you're looking at the water, you, you don't really see much that's beneath, beneath the surface of the water. Even if it's crystal clear, you just see the glare that is coming off of it. So you just put these sunglasses on and, and suddenly the glare goes away and you can see below the surface. So, so here's how these, how these glasses work. They, they're like filters for your eyes. They, they filter out some things so that you can see some other things more clearly. That's how these sunglasses work. They, they filter out things. They, they allow you not to see certain waves of light. In this case, the kind that create glare. I'm not very scientific. Some of you could explain this better than I can. They, they filter out the waves of light that, that cause you to see the reflection so that you can see more clearly what is underneath the reflection. That's how filters work. Now, my, my, my thesis this morning is, is this. What if we are all wearing 
glasses? What if we're all wearing filters on our eyes? And as a result of wearing these filters, we, we see some things really clearly. And we don't see some other things that are there so clearly because that's how filters work. And when we come to read the Bible, we're reading them like with glasses on. So when we read the Bible, there's some things that just like pop out to us because we have these glasses on. And then there's some things that are there that are awesome that don't pop out to us because we have these these glasses on. Now, I want to talk about the glasses that we're wearing. These are like American glasses that we're wearing. I mean, every American wears these glasses. We're, we're born with them because we are, we are just modern American people. Uh, sociologists, which are just people who study how society develops, or as I just call them, people who study the glasses that we wear. Sociologists say that all Americans look at most experiences and most choices they make in life, including church. That's what we're going to talk about today. They look at everything with these glasses on, through this lens. My own sense of who I want to be and what's going to help me get there. Americans are prone, sorry, I'm going to just wrestle with this thing for a little bit. Americans are prone to asking questions like, is this thing going to uh, help me develop and express like my potential as a person? Is this going to help me find the true me or the or the authentic me, or my best self? Is this, is this consistent with how I'm wired? Is this, does this fit with my stage of life, or my vision for my life? Is this true to who I am? Is this going to help me create the kind of life that I, I long for? Most of us make, as Americans, we make all of our major decisions with those glasses on, asking, is this going to help me become the best version of me? If you think of any major decision you've made, like, should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I move to this city? It's likely that you made it using that criteria is this going to help me get to where I want to go or you think of any non-major decision you made like should I buy these shoes or should I post this picture on Facebook it's likely that you made it asking is this going to help me become or express who I want to be is this going to project the image that I want to project is this going to help me live the life that I want to live now, sociologists have a term for this. They call it individualism, which is just a fancy way of saying the, the individual me is the filter through which we look at all of life and we navigate all of life. And here's what I'm, why I'm telling you this today. We read the Bible through this lens as well. We all read the Bible through the lens of, is this going to help me? What's here for me? So today we're going to uh, read a passage of scripture and we're going to try to read it without these glasses on and see if we can see something there that we don't normally see. Now, I need to make a little bit of a distinction here. These glasses aren't bad. These individual glasses aren't bad. Like, it's not bad to ask, is this going to help me lead the life I'm called to lead? If you're answering that, especially with God's help and from his word and, and according to his vision for you, that's not a bad thing at, at all. Glasses aren't bad. They simply mean that you see some things at the expense of not seeing other things. That's how glasses work. So like if you go fishing, you, you better have a pair of these. They're going to help you see what you should see, which is fish underneath the water and rocks that you might slip on. They're going to not help you see what you don't want to see, which is just glare and light reflecting off the water. So glasses aren't, aren't bad, but they do filter out some things. So I want us to read a passage of scripture today, and we're going to see if we can't see something that we don't normally see. I'm going to try to help you take our glasses off. 
Now, our passage today is going to be about church, and, and, and just so you know, Jesus was the first to use that term, and, and when he anticipated what his disciples were going to look like after he was gone, he would just drop the word church in. He wouldn't even explain what it meant. He would just say things like, tell it to the church, or you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and he just assumed that they knew what he, what he meant. Now, to us, that's, church is like a religious term, and, and some of us, there's pain associated with church. Because we have experience and we bring, we bring experiences with us to church. And so it's a religious term. It's about, it's about church. But, but when, when Jesus used the term, it wasn't a religious term. It was just a common, everyday term. It didn't have any religious connotations. It was like the word bus. When I say bus, do you think of a religion? Nope. You think of a long automobile with, you know, a bunch of wheels and seats, Right? So think of what might be included in uh, this, don, this definite, this uh, non-religious meaning of church. Uh, the church just meant, it was a Greek word, ekklesia, and it just meant the public assembly of a city or a town where the citizens of the city would gather together with the town council, the, the leaders of the city, and they would do the business of the city together, and then they would go their separate ways out into their city. That's all it meant. When they gathered together, it was the ekklesia. So it included citizens, it included an organized city, it included they assembled together from time to time, often in big public places. They were gathered together, guided by some leaders. So if Jesus had said, like, I will build my bus, and on this bus, nothing will overcome this bus, you would just assume, like, he's going to get his people, they're going to get together in groups of 20 or 30, they're going to ride around all over the place, right? Drinking Mountain Dew, right? That's what, that's what you do on buses, right? So if he said, I will build my church then maybe you would assume that he was going to get his people together and organize them into like little towns or, or cities and they were going to have some leaders and then occasionally they would gather together. They would be assembled together. And you know what? That's what happened. <laughs> when, when the disciples went out and made other disciples of Jesus and they, they would gather them into churches, they would appoint some what they called elders over and in the churches. They would sometimes appoint some deacons in uh, the churches. They would, they would create some organization and, and these churches would gather together. They, 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 they did what Jesus anticipated when he just dropped that little word. But as this movement kind of unfolded, some of these churches, some of these young churches grew a little bit confused about why Jesus created church. And so the apostles, who were just the spokespeople that Jesus commissioned, the messengers he commissioned, the, the apostles started using the second term for church. It's the term body of Christ. And body of Christ answers the question, what's so special about church? Why do we even do church? Now, if you've been, if you, in fact, if you've been hurt by church, body of Christ actually explains why that wound is so powerful. And I think body of Christ is, is especially important for you. It's especially important for us when, when it's obvious that the Spirit is up to something and doing something among us. It's important for us to keep in mind that we are and you are a body of Christ. So I, I want to read this passage today. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're just going to read the whole thing together. And, and as we're reading it, I just want you to ask, why church? What's so special about church. And so we're going to read it. And, and I guarantee you're probably not going to see the main point of the passage when you read it because you, you got glasses on. So you're not going to see it. And then we're going to try to take the glasses off. Now, if you want to play a little game, just see if you can pick up what the main point is without your glasses on. Okay. So there's a major term in here, body of Christ. 
Okay, there's another really important term, really important word here. I want you to see if you can pick up what the most important word in the passage is after body of Christ. Okay, you got, you got the flow? All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. Let's read together. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, we're asking the question, why church? And, and when we read this passage, when we read anything in Scripture about church, we'll, we'll tend to think this. We'll, we'll tend to think that church primarily exists to benefit and to build up the individuals who are part of the church. That's how individuals see life. The end goal of everything for individualists is individual people. So if two individualists get married, this is how we talk about marriage. Here's why, here's why marriage is so good, they'll say. Because marriage is going to help you become a better version of yourself. This marriage is, we, we even say this in church, we go, you're, it's just going to sanctify you. You're going to get married, and it's going to be God's instrument to sanctify you and to make you more holy. Which, by the way, is, is true. But, but here's what we don't see. Maybe when you get married, you're not just getting married so that he and she can both benefit in a way that they can't benefit as single people. Maybe you're getting married to create a marriage. And, and maybe the marriage is like a third thing. It's, it's not he, it's not she, it's like it. It's its own thing. We've created this, this third thing that's it's not you and it's not me, it's, it's our marriage. And the point of getting married is to create a marriage. What if that was the point of getting married? What if the point of getting married was not for you to grow or for her to grow, but to have a marriage? <laughs> we don't think like that. So here's how our glasses work. They help us see some things really clearly, but they, they filter out some other things. And that's not wrong. It just means we're, we're limited. So it's, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true that churches exist to help individual members grow and mature. But here's what I want to ask you. Is that everything is that everything that churches exist for now 
A few years ago, there was this uh, pretty popular younger Christian author, very talented, very witty, and he, he wrote on his blog about why he doesn't go to church anymore, why he's not part of church anymore, and here's how, here's how he described it. He says, it's just that I don't experience that intimacy with God in a worship service. In fact, I can count on one hand the number of sermons I actually remember, which by the way, I preach them like 35, 40 times a year, and me too. I can barely remember uh, sermons. <laughs> I was looking back a couple of weeks ago uh, through, through my catalog of, of messages I've delivered, and I had like preached on passages I don't know anything about. I'm like, I don't, I don't even remember preaching that message, so me too. He, he goes on to say, so to be brutally honest, I don't learn much about God hearing a sermon, and I don't connect with him by, by singing songs to him. Sorry, Sam. No, 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 uh, he's not connected. And then, then he went on to make, then he went on to make clear, like, he, he's not against church in any dogmatic sense. It's just not like his thing. So it's okay for you, but not for me. He said, because I said I'd not been to church regularly in years, people supposed I had something against the church, but I didn't and I don't. Now, this, he got all kinds of debate and blowback and, and people start trying to convince him to go back to church. And, but here was, the, here was fa what was fascinating to me. The, the reason he's not part of a church anymore is, he says, church is not helpful for me. And, and the reason people tried to get him to go back to church was they would say, it'll be bad for you if you don't go and it'll be good for you if you do. So both were using the categories of the church exists to benefit the individual member. That's why you should go to church. Neither him nor his critics could think of a reason for him to be part of a church besides whether or not it was good for him. So I want to try to take our glasses off and, and, and read a little bit of this again. And I want to pull out what is, besides body of Christ, the most important word in this passage. Okay, see if you, see if you got it. It showed up a form of it showed up four different times in this passage. Well, it showed up more than that, but it showed up used this way four different times. Look, look, at, look at verse 12, for example. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Look at verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You can't understand this passage until is and are jump off the page at you. Is and are are forms of the verb to be. When so something is, when it is, when, when it exists. So we can think of it this way. Is and are, as it is, as it is, as it is, you are. Is and are are describing reality. Now, do you know how reality works? Reality is something that exists, whether you realize it exists or not. I had never been to Medford, Oregon until um, Thursday night. Did you know what I discovered? 
Um, you guys have an existence that is independent of me ever coming here, ever visiting, ever even knowing that, that, that Medford, Oregon exists. If I were to say, you know, Medford, Oregon, I don't even believe in it. That would not make it any less real, would it? That's how reality works. I don't have to acknowledge it. I, don't, I, I can pretend it doesn't exist. But it just keeps on going. So you cannot, you cannot choose if, if something is real or not. But you can choose whether or not you live with it or whether you live against it, whether you want to experience it or whether you, you, you don't want to experience it. If you, if you live with reality, it'll, it'll lead to flourishing. If you live against reality, it'll often lead to damage or death. So gravity is a great example of this. There, you can never go through, you can never say, unless you're on the moon, you can never say, I'm going through a stage of life and a phase of life where gravity just doesn't apply to me. Unless you go to the moon. Now, you can choose to ignore it. Uh, as a free moral agent, I could go to the top of a, of a tall building and I could say, I choose to renounce the law of gravity. Gravity is, in fact, I don't know if you noticed, but gravity's not been kind to me. I have a gravity wound, okay? So gravity's been oppressing me my whole life, so I'm going to get free from, from gravity. And then if I, if I jump off that building and flap my arms, you know what's going to happen? You're going to quickly discover that gravity is still real. That's how reality works. In fact, that's often how you know you bumped into something that's, that, that just is. Because when you don't live in line with it, it doesn't stop existing. It doesn't bend to suit your demands or your wishes. It just keeps on going. It just keeps on being real. It just keeps on affecting you. So if I should say, because I'm not 6'3", I'm, I, I am not part of gravity anymore. I choose to renounce it. That would not make me any less subject to the law of gravity. And look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Paul says, a foot can say, I'm not part of the body, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body, and a foot can say that. But if a foot does say that, guess what? It's still part of the body. That's what he's saying. Because it's reality. That's how reality works. Even when you renounce it, it keeps on being real. One of the best studies of individualism was a book called Habits of the Heart, and it was produced by a bunch of uh, uh, academics at University of California, Berkeley. And, and here's, how the, here's what they wrote. They said, individualism alone does not allow persons to understand certain basic realities of their lives, especially their inter interdependence on others. Individualism alone, meaning when, when that functions as the lens through which we navigate all decisions of life, when, will this help me become the best me? Will this benefit me? Will this, will this build me up? When that functions as our only way of looking at life, individualism alone, it does not allow persons to understand certain basic realities, things that are true, things that affect them, certain basic realities of their lives, especially their interdependence on others. This is why it's easy for us as Americans to miss that the body of Christ is reality. 
But now we've, we've seen it, right? We're taking our glasses off and we're seeing it. So here's my, here's my prayer for you and my, and my plea to you and what I just hope to help you do to live according to this reality called body of Christ. This is how you guys will flourish as a church. You will begin to flourish as a church and you will continue to flourish as a church when you see that your corporate life together has its own value apart from the benefit that any individual person receives. Just like a marriage has value apart from the benefit of two individual people. My parents created a marriage um, before I was around. They, they created a marriage uh, years and years but before I was, uh, before, before I was, I was born. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that my, my dad has become a gentler person because of marriage, because my dad is, is not always the gentlest of souls, and I, I, bet he's, I bet he's become a more gentle, loving man because of marriage. And I bet my mom has become more patient. My mom's not always the most patient person in the world. As, as, as her, the other half of, of her marriage says, she is, um, she's seldom right, but never in doubt. So, <laughs> don't use that, by the way. That's not, that's uh, marriage advice. Don't do that. Don't say that. So I'm sure my mom has become um, more patient. I'm sure she's become more patient as a result of marriage. But do you know what? That that doesn't matter so much to me. You know what matters? You know what matters to me? That my parents have a marriage, and that marriage has been used to give life to other people. And and so what I care about is actually the reality called their marriage, not just their individual persons, although I love them as individuals as well. So my prayer and my plea for you guys is to cultivate this corporate reality called body of Christ. Now, let me give you a couple of ways you can do this. First thing you can do is you can ask, how can I contribute to the body, not just how do I benefit from being part of the body? An individualist evaluates a church based on what they're receiving. So an individualist has an ideal vision of their life, and so they will just ask, well, this church helped me achieve the ideal vision of my life. This week, I was looking through your website to get to know uh, kind of what all is going on here, and, and I looked at all the ministries that you guys have going on. There's a, there's a page on your site that says ministries. And so here's how an individualist will read the website. An individualist will read Heritage Kids, and they'll say, I have kids. And they'll read Awanas. And they'll say, I don't know what language that is. Is that Swahili? I don't even know what language that, that is. Okay, we'll go to the next one. Then, then they'll read uh, junior high, high school, and they'll think, well, that'll be good for when my kids are older. Then they'll read women's ministry, and they'll go, not me, men's ministry, me, flip side of 50, not yet, meals ministry, I'm hungry. <laughs> That's how individualists approach church. I have kids, I don't know this language, I want to. I don't have junior high or senior high kids yet, but I, but I will soon, so that'll be good. I'm not a woman, but I am a man. I'm not yet flips out of 50, but I, I will be one day. I am hungry. But what if you read those things as a list of ways to serve? What if that was not just things to come to to get your needs met, but it was ways to serve? See, you might, you might read kids, and even if you don't have kids there might be something there for you. You, you. you might read men's ministry 
and show up and say, I'm not just here to, to take, but I'm here to, to invest in, in other men. So what if you read these things as a list of ways to serve? This is how people who are beginning to see body as a reality think. Look at, look at verse uh, 4. If you back up in 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 4, here's, here's how Paul says it. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's someone who's thinking body to you and 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 to you you, is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the body to be a body. So, So what if you approach church not just as a list of ministries from which you could benefit, but ways you can serve and contribute to the common good? Now, here's the second thing. Be thankful for the things that you can only enjoy because you are part of the body. So here's how, here's how you think about the individual, individually. You think there are things that I can only have because I'm part of a body. And I'm incredibly thankful to God for that and to Jesus for thinking this idea up. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear... Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. The only way for an eye to hear anything is to be connected to a body that has ears. Eyes are very limited in their experience on their own. They cannot hear. They cannot smell. They cannot touch. They can only see. So there are some things you can only have because other parts of the body do it. There are some things that God wants for us that we can only have when we are connected to a body. Paul Paul said it. Um, As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So it's like God has some things for us. And he's only going to give them to us collectively. He's not going to give them to us individually. We can only experience them together. Man, thank him for that. Thank him for that. Now here's a third thing. Protect each other's weaknesses. Protect each other's weaknesses. Protect, don't criticize, don't exploit weaknesses, don't condemn weaknesses, don't cut off weak parts. Look at verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. See see what Paul's getting at here? Even parts of the body that don't have their act together even parts of the body that are that aren't mature even parts of the body that don't have anything put together even parts of the body that are that are that are more prone to weakness and sinfulness they're indispensable 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Meaning we, we, we preserve, the, we, we put the honor of clothing them and covering them and protecting them. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And here's what Paul is getting at. This church in Corinth was, was starting to experience division in the body because the stronger parts of the body no longer thought they needed the weaker parts of the body. So here's what was causing division in, in their body. Rather than celebrating the ears for what they could hear, they were criticizing their ear, the ears for what they did not see, even though ears can't see. And rather than celebrating toes, because toes help us keep on balance, they were cutting off the toes because they were ugly and they were smelly. So that's how bodies get divided. You start saying to ears, you can't see anything, you blind ear. You start saying to eyes, you are so deaf and dumb, you can't hear a thing. You start saying to really hardworking servants, you don't know much theology. You, 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 start, you start saying to, to, to people who, who are great at, at um, creating environments to love and, and to serve people. The only thing that matters is teaching the Bible. Why can't you teach the Bible? You start saying to people who, who can teach the Bible but, but aren't great at creating environments of love and ser service, like, why, why aren't your cookies better? Why don't you make better cookies? All parts of the body are good at some things and not good at other things. That's why you need a body. So I'm looking at a room full of people who are bad at a lot of things, individually speaking. And I'm looking at a room full of people who are good at a lot of things, individually speaking. So your body parts, and you'll only be whole as a body not as individuals. Man, one of the things I love about your leaders is your leaders are committed to practicing this among themselves. That's one of the, that's one of the, the keys to healthy church is that the leaders are like themselves, like a little microcosm of, of what they want the whole church to be, which is a community of, of parts, each part working in their area of strength, being protected in their area of weakness, not criticizing one part for being not good at what they're actually not good at because they're not designed for that. But filling out and rounding out each other, your leaders are committed to that. They're working hard to create among themselves a, a community where, where Jeff can do what Jeff is good at and Sam can, can do what Sam is good at and Aaron can do what Aaron is good at. And Aaron doesn't criticize Jeff for, for not doing what Jeff is not good at because... and and. Jeff doesn't criticize Aaron for not doing what Aaron isn't good at. But they love and they celebrate each other's gifting. And they honor and they protect weaknesses. 
So celebrate. Celebrate what you guys are good at. Protect each other's weaknesses. Don't criticize each other. Don't criticize ears because they can't see. Don't criticize toes because they smell bad. I had a friend who lost his toe recently. You know what happens? He's, he's, not, he's not as athletic as he used to be. Turns out his toe, his toe was so ugly. In one sense, it's like good that it's gone. He looks better in sandals now. But he's, but, but he's, but his body's not the same. Here's the fourth thing. Commit to a body and stick with the body. The only way you can experience this is to commit to a body and to stick with the body. Now, now this is important in the context of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written to some, to some people who thought they were super-Christians. And, and there, was this, there was this whole realm of super-Christians in Corinth, and the super-Christians were the ones that were saying, I, I have no need of you. I'm an I. I don't need you. That's what the, the super-Christians were saying. They were, they were the, maybe the more charismatically gifted Christians. They, they, were the, they had the, the public gifting. They, they were the ones you would look at and go, man, that's a, that's a good Christian. The Spirit is strong in their lives. They were saying, we, we don't need the rest of the body. They were withdrawing from the body. And, and, and Paul says, there's no such thing as a super-Christian who doesn't need the body. Now, the only way we can experience that as modern Americans, our situation is a little different contextually than theirs because in, the, in theirs there was like a church in Corinth. There was a church in Ephesus. There was a church in Rome. There, you, had, you had one option. So there weren't websites and you didn't get to choose among 25 or 30 or 40 viable options. The only way we can experience this is to commit with and stick with the body. And what I've discovered in my ministry through the years is that when people stick with the body, when people stick with the body, when they stick with it through, through seasons where they're kind of, um, they're not sure what, if they like the direction of the body, when they stick with it for years and years, they typically have stuck with it long enough to have gone through some very difficult things in their life and to have experienced that. They've, 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 they've gone through some exciting times in their life. They've experienced that. They've gone through changes and transitions in the body. They've experienced that. They've seen the body be one thing and kind of grow into another thing. And they begin to say, often it's like after five years, they begin to go like, I love the body of Christ. So I want to challenge you to find a body, stick with the body, be a member of the body. Now, I want to leave you with what Paul left them with in verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. But this time, I want to just put the emphasis on this. You are the body of Christ. Christ gave his body to create this body. Christ gave his actual body physical body. He, this is exactly what we celebrated this morning. We all came to, we all came to one table. The reason we didn't drink out of one cup and all eat off of one loaf is that we don't want you to get sick. We're like, we're like Americans and we're like, I don't drink out of other people's cups, right? That's what Americans do. 
but we came to the table. There is, there is one body, one physical body of Christ, one blood in it. He gave His body to create a body. He gave His actual body to create you. So, so Jesus approached His life like this. How can I contribute? What do I have to give my whole self, it turned out? And as a result of that, you can have things that you can only have when you are connected to His body. This is, this is what... This is what communion symbolizes. It symbolizes we have forgiveness of sin and we have restoration and we have resurrection life beginning to work in us and, and our, our bodies will one day literally be raised from the dead to a new kind of life and a new kind of body that can never die again because of what he did in his body. We have it through his body. So you have things that you can only have because you're connected to his body. And Jesus did not condemn exploit you or cut you off for your sin and for your weakness. He covered your sin with his body. He gave his body not to criticize you, not to judge you, but to cover your sin. And he is committed to his body and he sticks with his body until his body collectively one day when he returns will be raised from the dead, all in new kinds of bodies to a new kind of life that can never die again. Jesus gave himself so that you can have things that you can only have through his body. He did not exploit you, criticize you, condemn you. He covered your sin and he's committed to you and he will stick with you until he returns in his body. Can I pray for you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful body of Christ. Thank you for this beautiful body of Christ in, in Medford that is, that is composed of, of all the parts whom you have chosen. You have put every person in your body. And, and so I, I pray that they would cultivate this reality. They would lean into this reality. I pray that it would, it would give life to them. I pray they would enjoy and being part of, of your body. And Father, I pray that as they do that, they would remember they are the body of Christ and that you sent your son who came and lived among us in, an, in a human body. He came and lived among us and he gave his body and he said to us, take and eat. This is my body. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. My blood that comes out of my body. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. I tell you, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He did that, Father, to cover our sin. He did that to justify us, and he did that to show us that he's committed to us. He's committed us to the, to the point of giving his own body in death. And so, would you in, help us this morning to enjoy that and to cultivate the same mind of Christ among us. We ask it in his name and by his spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, could you guys join me on your feet for just a minute? Guys, we are so lucky to have, have Hunter here. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. He, he, Hunter is actually, he makes jokes about being short, but you have no idea. Don't leave us yet. Don't leave us yet. He, he makes jokes about being short, but he has a huge influence in, uh, in just church culture as a respected. He's actually leaving here today, flying down to LA and speaking at a huge conference down there, the Exponential Conference and uh, representing Acts 29 down there this week. And so we are really blessed to be able to have him here.
here. And um, I just want to pray blessing on him and thank him. And I, I know what it's like when you're away from your church teaching, you're always worried about your family back home as well. So could we just pray for Hunter even right now? Lord, we're just so thankful, Lord, that you've blessed um, us with this network, that we found a home Lord, with men like Hunter, and we thank you that, that you've blessed them, Lord, with, with your grace, that they would even create the kind of culture that we get to be a part of and the benefit that they've been for us. Lord, as he heads down south, Lord, to go speak at Exponential, I, I pray, God, you would just bless him and his time down there, that you would um, just anoint every conversation he has, that, that, Lord, he and Brian Howard and the others that will be uh, part of our network down there, you would bless them. And, Lord, we pray for Fellowship Church in Denver, Colorado. Um, Lord, just hearing Hunter's heart for his people and some of the, the blessings and struggles that, that happened there, I pray, God, you would just bless that place as like a gospel outpost, just something that stands out amongst everything else that's there, Lord, in the same way the Rockies stand out um, in the backdrop of Denver itself. I pray, God, that people would find you there, that you would anoint um, to an even greater degree, Hunter's leadership and the other pastors and leaders and elders. And, and I pray, God, you would just really bless that church, that you would just draw people to you through him. We just thank you, Lord, for his time committed to us, and we just pray you'd bless him, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Can you guys give us a warm th thanks to Hunter? Thank you guys so much. Man. God bless you. May the Lord keep you. We love you guys. Remember this week at 630, we're going to be talking in our midweek series, Like Jesus. Pastor Jeremy's going to be sharing about relate like Jesus. How does Jesus handle interpersonal relationships around him? And what can we learn from that so that we can be Christ-like in the same way? That's going to be Wednesday night at 630, Iwanas, all that other stuff. God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you for coming this morning. Have a great week.